The Incomparable. Number 497. January 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and uh, it's 2020, and we're going to... We got a lot of work to do to clean up a bunch of really great TV programs that aired in late 2019. So the month of January, I'm not going to give it a title, but uh, it's going to be a lot of TV in the month of January 2020. A lot of TV wrap-ups, and we're going to start with, spoiler alert, my favorite TV show of 2019. It is HBO's Watchmen, produced by Damon Lindelof. Uh, starring Regina King and a cast and an amazing cast and many other people involved. Great. I love it. I'm interested in what my panel has to say about it. And let me introduce you to that panel now. Aline Sims is here. Hello. This is the worst show ever. What? No, it's not. It's amazing. That's it's amazing. Outrageous. It's January 2020. I'm introducing Cicero Holmes. Hello. Hello, sir. Uh, this show came from an alternate universe where things are great. <laughs> Wow, that shows you how bad it's gotten in this universe. Joe Steele is here. Hi, Joe. Hello. I'm here to talk about eggs. Mm, and uh, then who will hold down the legacy portion of the program? That must be Merlin Mann. Hello. Can I have my pills, please? <laughs> uh, I advise that you take the pills all in one gulp from the bottle. That's the best right. way to take your uh, memory pills. Your That's how all pills. medication works, right? That's mm-hmm. totally, totally how it works. <laughs> totally how it works. So, Watchmen, I... Often when we do things about old movies or, or books or comics or whatever, I ask everybody in the panel what their relationship is with the old media. I kind of want to do that with the classic comic series Watchmen here, because one of the conversations about HBO's TV series Watchmen from 2019, which is what we're talking about here, is how it relates to the original People call it a graphic novel. It was collected as a graphic novel. It was released as 12 comic book issues in in 1985-86. I read them month to month back then. That's I actually read it month to month except for the last issue, which was late. (laughs) You had to wait two months to find out what happened at the end of the story. Um, But I want to ask how people's uh, relationship with the source material or the, you know, I don't know, antecedent material is, because I do think it's kind of relevant. There's definitely been a debate about can you watch HBO's Watchmen not knowing anything about the universe? Um, But at the very least, I want to do a little quick check on what do you know know about Watchmen going into watching HBO's Watchmen? Aline? Nothing. Nothing. Um, I watched the movie when it came out, but I didn't really remember anything from it. So you saw Zack Snyder's movie a decade ago, Mm -hmm. and that was about it. Yep. And I... I felt pretty informed. I thought that it did a really good job of um, kind of introducing what I needed to know. I wasn't really confused about anything or any of the characters. After I watched this series or this season, depending upon where they decide to go, I did go back and read the graphic novel mm-hmm. and I did watch the movie again, but mm. I watched the series before I, I did that. Right. So, so it was great. So I loved it. You're the answer to all variations on the question, who watches The Watchmen? <laughs> yes. Uh, Cicero, what about you? What's your relationship with this material? So I uh, was new to the material when the movie had been announced in 2009. Um so before the film came out, I started reading the graphic novel and then wound up finishing the graphic novel after having seen the film. Uh, so I had like all of that was jumbled in together. Um, but my partner had not really seen the film 
I tried to show her the director's cut and she was not having it uh, years ago. And then we started watching the series and she I was trying to make her the test case to see if we could get her to fit in there and be the one who had not doesn't know the source material and still likes the show. But it didn't work. Thank you, Aline. Yeah, you're welcome. My pleasure. <laughs> nice. Uh, Joe, what about you? I first read it as a collected work, as a graphic novel, um, and it was like 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually for a, a college course, um, just to let you know what happens in art schools. Uh, <laughs> and then after I graduated, uh, I worked on uh, the motion picture. Um, so I got to be a part of it when it was in development and happening and uh, came to be. Um, and, uh, nice. you know, it's got its pros and cons. Um, so I'm also familiar with that. And for anybody who may be listening and curious about the film, I recommend seeing the theatrical cut instead of any of the other cuts, mm. um, for very obvious reasons. Um, and, uh, that's, you know, that's just how it goes. Uh, you know, we don't really need to release the Snyder cut in this case. <laughs> no, <laughs> which one? That's the question. Merlin, mm-hmm. Merlin what yeah. about you? I was in college, uh, when this came out. Um, because I'm very old mm. and I could not have conceivably had less of an interest in comics of any kind at the time or graphic novels. Um, I, I've, I've been trying to look through Amazon and find the oldest thing I can find. I feel like I read the um, collected um, issues probably, it would have been at some point during my the big comet comic resurgence that I had when my kid was a couple years old. And, uh, to cut a long story short, I, I was just blown away. I, it wasn't too long after that. I then discovered stuff like, you know, is it like trans metropolitan and all those incredibly like sort of dense, uh, you know, siblings or descendants of, of Watchmen and dark Knight and all of those. And I don't know, I was really blown away by it and found it so absorbing and reread it. And then it, I, I cracked Something happened, and according to Amazon, in 2013, uh, wow, in a very short period of time, I bought the uh, <laughs> the deluxe edition, the Watching the Watchmen movie, Joe, Watchmen the Film <laughs> Companion, uh, and the Watchmen Collector's Edition on Blu-ray. And since then, I have bought one, two, three, four more copies for people in my life. Sent Syracuse a copy, sent Roderick a copy years ago. Uh, so that was what I came to it with, um, and and just... I don't want to get ahead, but having seen the trailers for what was going to be coming in the show, I was like, wow, this looks really skippable. I mean, what is this? What is this supposed to be? Why are there all these Rorschachs and like, you know, the TikTok and everything? But yeah, that's what I brought to it. And from since I started watching the show, I was telling people, oh, you know, you don't really need to com the comic to appreciate it. But every episode, it became clearer to me that it was so much richer to enjoy it if you had read you know, the graphic novel. And that way you don't have to be like me and pause every 90 seconds and jump up and down and say, are you getting this? <laughs> Do you see there's masks inside of masks? Ah! In, in terms of my background, by the way, I did read the, the original 12 issues when they came out um, and then bought the collected trade paperback and then bought the book club edition and then bought the ultimate edition and then bought that special edition of the movie that came with a version of the trade paperback edition. With the uh, with the 3D, the 3D Yeah, the little lenticular art and all that. <laughs> I, that I have so many versions of the original comic book as well as a couple different versions of the movie which is oh it's fine I, I i don't i don't hate it like some people do um i don't love it like some people <laughs> do but you know I, it w- and we did an episode about it when it came out like eight years ago so you can just go back and listen to that if you want to but um i do think uh i want to i want to jump off of something that you just said merlin which is 
as a fan of Watchmen, I saw the initial descriptions of this show and the trailer, and I thought, eh. You like because it's like it's in Tulsa and it's totally new characters and it's set in 2019 and it's set in the world where Watchmen is and Damon Lindelof's out there saying, well, it's kind of a remix, which is like, what does that mean? Um, and at least for me, as somebody with a long uh, history with this work, I was delighted to discover, well, first off, Damon Lindelof's a liar. <laughs> it is not a remix in any way. It is a continuation of the story, but set in the present day. And as for the setting and the characters, yes, it is set in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2019. But there are, as it turns out, really good reasons for that. And on top of all of that, are there characters from Watchmen in it? Yes, there are. Is it a direct through line from Watchmen? Yes, it is. Do we see events that happen in Watchmen again here? Perhaps events not depicted in the movie. Yes, we do. Right? Like, so all of my, one of the things that's amazing about this is the first episode and the last episode, like, if you look at those in isolation, well, they're very different. Like, this is a nine episode miniseries that takes a real journey from point A to point B, like the original comic does, by the way. Yes. Uh, and yes. and so anyway, that that was my I was not super enthusiastic about this at first until the reviews started coming in. But um then I started watching, I was like, oh, like I get it. I get it. And I think some of it was a misdirect, which is that Damon Lindelof didn't want to be judged mm-hmm. uh about like and didn't want people thinking it was just a retelling of Watchmen. And so he said a lot of stuff that turned out to not actually be accurate and uh, it worked on me because then i went in with no uh, preconceptions and uh i was rewarded for it yeah i have to uh reiterate that i also had the same skepticism um going into this uh, because i don't think the marketing was doing any favors but at the same time i'm glad they didn't give away any of the stuff i would come to like but it's really the word of mouth and the reviews uh that were so positive around it that um uh made me you know pursue watching the first episode as soon as i could uh i was always going to watch it at some point but uh I, I watched it like the night of and uh it keeps you just off balance enough that you're not exactly sure where the series will go but you um i think are drawn into finding out like what's going to happen um with this sort of sequel to the original uh whereas i think if you had told me ahead of time oh it's a sequel to the original set in the present day and outlined some of the things that were going to happen i I may have been more turned off than uh than i was um i think it's just that uh that first episode the pilot uh drawing you in with some of that uh stuff that keeps you off balance especially the way the pilot ends um which uh we'll get into in a bit i'm sure yeah i want to i i want to um there may be some people listening who have not watched watchmen and so actually i'm going to take this opportunity to fire off the spoiler horn and uh, you should you should watch the show before you listen to the rest of this episode if you've come this far because we are going to spoil I'm going to spoil something in a moment about the pilot episode and then we're going to just tear this thing open so it's great you should go watch it uh, and now here's the spoiler horn that's my favorite part of podcasts hey Joe like you know how Don, Don Johnson is in the show and then he's dead at the end of episode one you mean that <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's, that's mainly the thing I was and getting there's at there's a guy in a wheelchair <laughs> like Lewis what Gossett is Jr. what <laughs> what is happening right. yeah it is it is I, I think you're right I think that they they thwarted our expectations in a kind of a brilliant way and 
Um, and the other thing about the pilot, and this goes into the baking of the kind of like the whole series and how it was put together and, and how it was carefully constructed, is Black Wall Street, right? Like it's in Tulsa because of the story of Black Wall Street. The whole story that Damon Lindelof tells right. is, you know, as a white guy growing up in America, he'd never heard of what happened about the the massacre in Tulsa in the 1920s. Right. Um, and, and it is the centerpiece of the first episode of Watchmen. And it has these, that violence has ramifications uh, throughout the story and throughout all the characters. And, you know, again, kind of held close to the vest until you watch the episode and then it is a huge part of what the whole show is about. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, it, it was not what I expected and I was relieved in the end that it was both Watchmen and also something completely new with new stuff for me to think about instead of it just being fan service and just being retreads of existing characters. So um, <laughs> a lot of what I might have to say, I'm, I'm worried it's just going to be a regurgitation of brilliant things Damon Lindelof has said on podcasts, but two, two very fast notes um, that you guys have probably already heard. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting was, I don't know if this is the full quote, but when he said something like that he wanted to have it be a remix, the part that really grabbed me was when he said, not a cover band which I thought was a really interesting way to put it, right? Mm. This isn't going to be an oldies. Mm. You're not going to come in and, you know, do that. The other thing, I forget who said this, probably the guys on the Watch uh, podcast, but um, uh, something when I was sort of mulling over how I felt about the whole series and how it ended, uh, they, they said something really interesting, how unusual it is to go into a show, even in these times of confusion, to go into a show that drops you straight into the deep end of something that is... Right. Very difficult to understand, and knowing Lindelof, maybe you never will fully understand, but really, I mean, that's a, what a fantastic pilot, but utterly baffling. And now, as a side note, this, one of the reasons I say it helps to read the comic is at least you can have comfort in knowing whether you're, you missed something or just something inexplicable is happening. But the other part of that then is that after, if you, you can almost think of the show as being like these three seasons inside of the show in some ways, and by the time you get to the end, you know, you get the most superhero-y superhero mm -hmm. episode in the last episode, where normally that's yeah. how any more sort of quotidian, crowd-pleasing filmmaker would start out with the, like, you know, the origin story, story and the spider bite and all of that. And that's such an interesting approach. And when I thought of it that way as being played kind of in reverse in some ways, it doesn't get more complex. It's not that it gets simpler, but it becomes less utterly bewildering sometime around, I guess, probably seven or eight. I truly, truly, truly love this series. I love Watchmen as a brand um, and and I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I think uh, David Hayter's take when uh, on... Uh, the ending was better than the squid ending from the, from the series. I know that's a little, uh, blasphemous to say for, you know, as, but, but I, I really enjoyed that version of it. Um, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't like the biggest Watchmen fan. I really enjoyed it. Um, and so when the series was coming, I was excited about the series because it was like, oh, OK, I like that. You know, I like that franchise. I know it. So I'll go to watch it. And the second we opened in and and, you know, for me, we're watching a a black hero bass reeves on a silent screen who's an actual guy i'm like oh wait a minute that's a dude that's the the original lone ranger like they're using that information then we find out we're in tulsa um in you know and the the tulsa massacre and i was like all right well 
I don't know whatever whatever else is going to happen in this in this show, but they've got me for at least two episodes um, because this this is something. This is something that I've told my coworkers about that uh, just are in complete disbelief. Is a thing that happened less than a hundred years ago here in in America, um, but like. So just off the strength of that, I was like, okay, you got me. And by the end of the episode, I was completely disoriented. <laughs> um, it was just, it, I, they've done, Lindelof was able to do such a great job of storytelling without exposition. Um, you know, we knew Tulsa 1921. We knew that we were in present day once, once it changed. And then so much of what was happening was was given to us visually the the cars didn't sound like internal combustion combustion engines um it was you know like that was it was very weird and uh so it's like oh they're electric and now this guy's got a mask on he's the cop he's got a mask on oh you know and like you start to understand that then they've got a request to get his firearm out uh like all right i you know i can see how those things if you if you knew the source material you could see how those things progressed um but they were able to do so much of that storytelling throughout the series uh without a lot of exposition without a lot of verbal exposition. The first episode is disoriented. And I think that one of the problems with, that a lot of people had who had not read the source material was that they were thinking, oh boy, this doesn't make sense. It's because I haven't read the, the comic book. Yeah. And the answer was, no, no, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to understand what's happening yet. <laughs> like it, mm-hmm. it, it's not about yeah. that. It, yeah. it, you don't, you're not supposed yeah. to understand. You're supposed to be disoriented. And, and it is. And there's the, the fake out with, with Judd Crawford, Don Johnson, who you think is going to be. It's the classic. Right. So many first episodes of TV series do this, right? Where you introduce a character you think is going to be in the show, and then they are dead by the end of the episode. Yeah, he's, he's Ned Stark. Yeah. The cops wearing masks, and you think, oh, this is a weird inversion yeah. in Watchmen that they're going to have them. It'd be about cops wearing masks. And it turns it's not really about that. Like... You know, it's it's right. again right. A kind of a misdirect, and 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 uh, although we do meet Angela Abar, uh, you know, played by Regina King, who is great, and and we see some of her history and the fact that there was this white knight, which was a an attempt by the Seventh Cavalry, this white supremacist group that wears Rorschach inspired masks because that Rorschach in the comics, of course, left his his uh, his diary behind, and the strong implication at the end of the comic right. is that it's going to be published and it's going to reveal all these things, and and what the this show re- sh- says is that. It's out there, but it's generally not believed to be real, even though we know it's real and that it's generally believed that the squid incursion in Watchmen actually was real and not uh, a plot by Adrian Veidt, although that's what Rorschach believed. And uh, and so, you know, so the White Knight, they try to kill everybody in the police force in Tulsa and uh, Angela survives and uh, Judd Crawford survives. And uh, that's really, in, in an amazing moment, I remember watching the first episode and thinking, wait a second, how did she not die? Because they were in her house. And it, like it's a moment where I right. thought about it and mm-hmm. I was like, that's weird. And then I just kind of like discarded it. And then seven episodes later, I'm like, whoa, wait a second. I got it. Like yeah. that was that was yeah. laying there that she was saved by her husband, who is actually Doctor Manhattan. Right. 
Um, but I, I didn't realize that at the time. But, we, you know, it, it's a disorienting episode. And then it's funny, like, the every episode after that starts to download you on various characters and ratchet it up until you get to that last episode. Um, also, Mer- Merlin, you mentioned the way it's structured and that it's very superhero-y at the end. One thing that Lindelof said is that they tried to structure this like the comic, where it starts out as a noir detective uh-huh. story with with cops inventing, investigating a murder, <laughs> and it ends as the most crazy sci-fi thing you'd ever see in the last in the last one. And that's kind of <laughs> right. how it's structured, right? Like, by the time you get to the end, and I've seen some people say, I don't know, that last episode is kind of ridiculous and over the top. I'm like, have you read Watchmen? <laughs> it kind of ends yes. that way. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> there's, there's, so many, uh, there's so many times where I feel like, uh, sometimes I, I, I realize I'm imagining this voice or I'm making it a straw man of the Erm Actually guy on the internet, but like there's at every step along the way, I became more and more confident that if you really did read the original Watchmen and really did enjoy it thematically, I don't know how you watch this and go like, that's not right. I mean, I I just feel like there's so much tonally that, uh, I mean, certainly there's a million quibbles you can have with anything somebody made, but you know, if you, if that theme of vigilanteism and identity and, uh, you know, all the things that that comic did so improbably well at the time. I mean, again, I, I, sister, I'm gonna let you be alone and being heretical here on the internet, but I'll just say that like, I, I, sometimes I think, I feel like it's in kind of bad faith when people, uh, are saying that this is not, you know, this is not what, you know, St. Allen would have wanted when it's like, wow, I feel like, I feel like they really, and again, I want to credit the whole team because Damon, uh, I call him Damon. He, he credits the whole team. I think they really, they, yeah, they do have a reverence or respect for it, but they also, it would not have done the original text justice to just turn this into side B. Like to, to, they needed to go a lot further with it. And I think they really, really super did. And that's, I, that's, if I mean, if you like that comic and the density of what it was, can't you appreciate something similar happen here? There's a instead of a comic within the comic, now there's a TV show within the TV show, and the layers and layers and layers. Like, I I I hope more gets to see it someday to appreciate. Like, you know, it may not be the thing you wanted done, but like it was extremely successful at what it set out to do. Yeah, it, and to to go on with that, it, you know, it's like the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Like, it's it's not uh, reproducing as the movie did. Um, some cases slavishly, uh, exactly what happened. Um, it is, uh, the spirit, as you said, uh, and articulating that through the medium. Um, whereas Watchmen was showing what the medium of comics could do. This is showing what the medium of television can do. And because yes. it's television, you can also tell it episodically. And so you can say this one is about, uh, Lori. This one is about, uh, Angela. This one is about, um, the, the memories that have been downloaded, like you can break it up in a way that you couldn't do with a movie, uh, or with a movie series that was structured in a way that made any sense. Um, that, that really shows the strength of, of the medium, uh, in a way that, uh, honors, I think what the original tried to do in showing the strengths of, uh, the comic book as a medium. Yeah. And I think that the argument of, um, it needs to be more faithful to the source material or it needs to follow um, that, not the spirit, but the letter is really, to use Merlin, your favorite word, problematic, because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot in the in the comic, in the graphic novel that does not hold up well. Like it wasn't OK in 1984 and mm-hmm. it's certainly not OK in 19. Wait, what, what is it? 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still writing 35 minutes ago on all my checks. I am all the checks. Um, you know, so there's I mean, there's a lot of homophobia. There's a lot of misogyny. There's there's a lot of 
stuff that we just don't need to see on the screen anymore. And the thing that I really appreciate about this version of The Watchmen is that it really brings a lot of the things that we're facing as a society today to the forefront. It really centers it. It's an education on um, a police massacre in Tulsa, you know, like, and, and how society could have handled that better than it did and maybe how it could have changed things. It addresses um, Vietnam um, to a lesser extent, I guess. And that's not really my wheelhouse of knowledge, but like, you know, it's, it's good because it does take the spirit, I think, of what they were trying to accomplish in 84, and it really modernizes it in a way that I think is really effective and really um, incredible. Like, there were moments that it, when we see um, when we see Angela become Sister Knight, like, that is a powerful thing. It, it took my breath away watching her suit up and, um, you know, spray the paint on her face and, and everything. Like, it's just an amazing, amazing commentary. I don't know. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Do you have a website? Uh, you might. You might. And does your website have a shopping cart? It might. How about a registration form? How about a contact us page? Every website's got that. If you're making money on the internet, you probably have these things. And if you answered yes to these questions, you need Pingdom. Nobody wants critical website transactions to fail. That means a bad experience for everyone. It's bad for your users. It's lost business for you. The good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. Transaction monitoring alerts you when cart checkout, forms, and login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will let you know the moment any of them fail in whatever way is right for you and your business. The way your organization is set up, you can set those alerts to go where you need them to go so the right person hears when something is broken. And it can even depend on how severe the outage is, who gets alerted, and when. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you will be the first to know and that's always a good thing. It's super easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell right now. You'll get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code Snell at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of The Incomparable. Original Watchmen, and this is, you give it enough time and you're going to get people who don't get what the original was about, like, the original Watchmen is about fascism. It's about Thatcherism and Reaganism. Right, right. It is a deeply <laughs> yeah. political yeah. work by a deeply political writer yes. in Alan Moore, mm-hmm. and I feel like that is what what that they what they set out to do with this is we are also going to make a deeply political work, and it's going to be different because it's going to be about current stuff, and it's going to be about yes, we mm-hmm. live in a world now where our superhero media is everywhere, but this particular show is going to be about racism and white supremacy and it is going to be about american empire in this kind of weird you know distorted mirror where vietnam is the 51st state which is set up in watchmen the comic but never really dealt with um it's dealt with directly here um the the fact that most of watchmen is white people is commented on they're they're in dialogue (laughs) with Mm -hmm. the comic in saying the whole hooded justice thing right 
which is why that that was what sparked this entire show apparently is is why did Hood of Justice never take off his mask and I, like Damon Lindelof I always wondered like they say he was this German bodybuilder but he never revealed his identity to everybody to anybody except maybe Captain Metropolis and uh <laughs> you know and their, their their gay relationship is strongly uh hinted at but never confirmed and all of that and from there Damon Lindelof said you know what he was black, and the reason he never took off his mask is because uh, if if he was a black superhero, they would have killed him. And so he pretended to be white in order to fight crime. And like he just completely rips it apart. And that is the that is why I think that this is so amazing. Is that this show wants to do what the original Watchmen did in that it wants to be very political and and very uh, uh, provocative. It doesn't want to repeat those notes. It wants to play the notes for today that are but are that are pointed in the same way that the original material was. Yeah, I would say that these notes also could have been relevant at the time certainly. It's not like, it's not like we solved racism and then the, we The, the English guys who did Watchmen were not as concerned about yeah. that as they were concerned about kind of creeping fascism in Thatcher's Britain yeah. and it wasn't there, you know, even though they said in America it wasn't spoiler alert for the original comic. It's not really about America. It was kind of about Britain and more than it was about America, but uh, and about about superheroes being sort of fascist totems, which is undercut in interesting ways by this show too. Yeah, uh, it's it's amazing how um, unapologetically black the story was, or at least the 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 premise of the story, like the the epicenter, the core of this of this entire series. Were, were things that as as a person of color as a as a descendant of slaves that I could identify with and I I didn't feel pandered to oh. um while they were while they were dealing with these issues and I mean during the course of this podcast uh this is just uh you know a, a little side note I will be I will pour a few praise over this series um, because it is just amazing. Um, just th- their ability again, the ability to tell these stories. And it was almost like uh, like a just kind of like a, a, um, a an anthology of storytelling in each different episode. Each episode handled things very differently um the, you know they were able to tell a a very convincing story but the style was completely different on almost every single episode it was it was damn good yeah you're right that, something that joe said earlier it, it, these are issues of a comic these are using the episodic nature of television yeah. and the weekly nature of television too as somebody who occasionally goes on a rant about how i don't love a lot of binge drops of dramas uh, that every week you get something a little different and then you get a week to think about it before the next one. And we have, and I love this, we have the Lori episode. We have the Looking Glass mm-hmm. episode. Looking we glass, have the yeah. Hood of Justice right. episode, yeah. which is, just blows me away. We have the right. final origin story of Angela episode. We have the Dr. Manhattan episode. And then we have the plot resolution episode in episode nine, which <laughs> I liked, mm-hmm. but, and, and I think it's fine. And I think it's kind of necessary and I don't think it's a bad episode, but I think the problem is it has to suffer from following episodes five, six, seven, what a, and what eight. What a high bar. What a high <laughs> yeah. bar. Yeah. I, I'm reminded of when, uh, when my wife was pregnant with our daughter and um, <laughs> we were, we were very into the age of TiVo at the time. And we, um, 
we had really, I don't know, it's, it's so strange to believe this show is still on. We used to watch stuff like SVU. And then suddenly when she got <laughs> pregnant, it's like, you know, sometimes like like a, a woman gets pregnant and like she can't even like smell meat cooking or something. You get those weird ticks. And she's like, I can't watch SVU anymore. <laughs> you know, I, you know what? I can't watch SVU either. This is terrible. So what do we do? We watch The Wire all the way through. <laughs> yes, even the fifth season. I think at least two times. I don't want to exaggerate, but even if it was one time, let's just say we would watch four to six episodes of The Wire every night. She can't sleep. She's got a big tummy. Um, but there was such a funny side effect to that. And I, I don't mean to sound like a snob or something, but uh, it was funny how like you, you get you live inside of the wire. You know, it does the cold open and they got to figure out how to get the desk through the door. And like it just and then while Lester's sitting there whittling and you're just like, oh, my God, this show is so good. It's not perfect, but like, oh, show me something better. And then you'd go and you'd flip to another channel. Let's say you pop up SVU <laughs> or you pop up Law and Order Prime and you're like, oh, my God. I feel like I feel like I've gone from like three D printing to have these people not seen the wire. Do they not understand? <laughs> what Of course, the killer is the guy who was famous on TV in nineteen eighty eight. That's who it always is. It's twenty nine minutes after the hour for bump bump time for the order. But like I, you know, that's that's the funny thing about this is that, and you know, I realize we're talking about the show rather than like really walking through it. But like the part that just really made it stick to my ribs, and honestly, I watched every episode at least twice and mostly three times because there was so much to get from each one and just the pure enjoyment of watching this story being told with such assurance because because that's the thing you know there's there's a lot of boxes you can tick when you're making times of confusion tv or movies for that matter where you're like sometimes you just sit down and you tuck in with a tv show or movie and you're like how how are you just hitting so many dingers in this like thematically from the beginning you grip my heart and then you brought in these characters that I suddenly cared intensely about. But like at no point do you do, do they let the slack off on the propulsiveness. It wasn't rush storytelling, but it was very propulsive storytelling where at, at every turn you're like, mm. I, I didn't know that was going to happen. And that's happening. And like the way you're telling the story builds the story when you get to the black and white episode. That, that whole episode to me is that's got to be one of my favorite episodes of TV yeah. ever because it's it hits on every quadrant i mean it's it's a great uh, like a lot of people have said at the heart of this is a good cop show but on top of that you've got the stuff about identity and they're not going to slack on the on the complexity of this race stuff and when you get to the moment when he sprays the white stuff on his eyes you're like okay i give up you win you've done it like you i don't know how you did it but you've done it and we've seen his granddaughter spray the black stuff on her eyes right it's like it's all there and and the misdirective opening with uh the guy from uh, the tv show as uh justice the misdirect of him being it just i mean but i guess what i'm trying to say is like yeah it's it's so enjoyable on a cerebral level on a nerd level on a like every kind of school of criticism level but it's also just very good tv and that that is that's just rare as hen's teeth these days it's like something that really hits it all out but it's also genuinely entertaining and and stimulating in this way yeah that that sixth episode is is the is the piano playing on the the dead center of of this series because that is where uh and you know lindelof said that 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 (laughs) writing the (laughs) writing the um uh the black wall street uh, massacre in episode one that one of the notes he got from the network was this has got to have a payoff and he's like oh yeah it has a payoff and and in episode six (laughs) the hooded justice episode um, where we find out who the heck this Lewis Gossett character is, and he is also the little boy from the, that opening scene. Right. And it is 
everything, right? Because it's 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 filtered through Angela because she's taking his memories in pill form, which is a weird thing that happens in the show. And it's like, just go with it. Just go with it. And it is this story about the origin of a character from the original Watchmen comics, Hooded Justice, who nobody ever knows. And it's, you know, he is one of the few black uh, police officers in the NYPD, and he's immediately warned to beware of Cyclops. And there are, you know, white officers who who at one point beat him and almost lynch him, but don't quite do it, which is a great commentary on, like, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, what the hell is it with this black hood that looks like a clan hood except black and a and a and a, a, a noose around the neck of this like who is this guy right and it's all deconstructed and and he becomes hooded justice that night and he's also either gay or bisexual because he has sex with Captain Metropolis right. um but he's also got his wife and his kids and and, and or his his son and he's obsessed with finding out what Cyclops is the amazing moment where he calls the 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 Minutemen and Captain Metropolis his lover and says I found the hideout of the horrible fascist white supremacists who are in charge of this and his response is you take care of that on your own which is just like it's mm-hmm. so great and brutal this is why, and, this is why oh. i joined up i didn't join up i didn't join up to make dolls of myself like I, I joined up to make a difference and this is the one time i pick up the phone and ask you to help me it, out on oh. the whole reason that i'm involved with your group but it doesn't fit your marketing it, it, agenda. it's just that that is the dead center of this whole show is that episode right it, it is so remarkable and told in a kaleidoscopic way in the same way that sort of the dr manhattan stuff is always told in a disjointed way um because in this case it's the the idea is that angela is consuming these memories and so she's kind of hopping around and she sees her her great grandmother playing the piano while her grandfather is doing all this stuff and she falls through the window or the 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 glass which is itself a retelling of a story that's recounted in the original Watchmen comic with a completely different meaning once you understand the background which is just it's just brilliant <laughs> that that episode is amazing it really is amazing yeah yeah uh it, um that moment uh that you were talking about jason is one of the moments that uh that really hits me that 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 moment oh. when he calls and he says i've got this just cause i think i solved i and, solved it right i know where they are right and um that heartbreak was so real for me because that's what's believable to me and and so like it it's it's a disappointment but it's an ex like for me i was i would i bought into the story more because that is what would seem realistic in in the way that you know you think that you have an ally but when the ally when you say hey i've got this thing that will help mm-hmm. me your ally Will you be there with me? And he's just seen the impunity. He's just seen the utter impunity of the guy. I think it was at this point, but the guy who bombed the deli. And it's just right. the, the fact that like that guy, he's so smug. And, you know, right. to, speaking of good faith, Will's out there like trying to do the right thing. FT and Sons? Yes. Yes. FT it's, it's, and it's Sons. Strongly, for those who don't know or didn't notice this, it's strongly <laughs> suggested that that guy is Fred Trump. Oh, oh come on. Very strongly <laughs> suggested. Oh, my God. Yep. Oh. Dear, uh, yep. uh, I can't. I can't even get. I can't yep. get fifty so, minutes away from. So, this. so here, here, here's Jesus. the thing. Also, um, the so Doctor Manhattan is Superman, kind of. He's the Superman existing. He's American. One of the things that that the show is doing in in 
critiquing comic books and superheroes in general is happening right here in that moment where he's on the phone with Captain Metropolis. And it comes back when Louis Gossett Jr. says in the last line of the last episode of the show, which is John Osterman seemed like a pretty good guy, but he could have done more. One of the fundamental Mm -hmm. things that the show is saying is you have these incredibly powerful heroes like Superman or... Um, you know, you you could take other kind of more modern examples of it as well. Like these are incredibly powerful characters. Um, you know, Spider Man, whoever Spider Spider Man who can't get a moment's rest from his own conscience. And but so you've got these incredibly powerful characters, and 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 what crimes do they solve? And right. and you look at it later, and you say, well, okay, Superman. Let's take Superman. All of these things that are wrong with the world that are unjust like racism white supremacy right not touched like right not not occasionally your your 70s public service uh, announcement right about but that's about it and that that is implicit in this story and in that last line from lewis gossett jr is seems like a nice guy but did he stop all of these other things that were going on or did he say when i called him on the phone i'm sorry i'm not going to handle that Mm -hmm. yeah also kind of a commentary on fandom, though, in terms of like what we demand and what we'll accept. And like, oh, yeah, we got these tokenistic, you know, you've got, you know, Power Man and, you know, Black Panther and stuff like that back in the day. But like also commentary on like, yeah, I would rather see you, um, you know, fight Galactus uh, than I would see you want to like go, <laughs> go dissuade this lady trying to tell on the black family having a barbecue in Oakland. Like that's not, that's not an interesting <laughs> problem to solve f- for either the creators or, f- or for the fans. Yeah, black Panther versus Becky. You're saying? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Listen, I'm here at Lake Merritt and these people are not supposed to be here. They are not permitted. <laughs> They're doing gang signs. <laughs> <laughs> their pants, their pants are slung very low, and they they're cooking right. franks. The charcoal is outside of the designated radius, <laughs> right. and it's purple. <laughs> they keep talking about vibranium. Um. <laughs> so, so we've talked about race a little bit, um, and that is, I think, the center of this. But th- there's also yeah. the gender issue here, which is our main character is Angela Abar. She is a. Uh, she is a, a a cop who is kind of undercover as Sister Knight. Um, we learn her story over time, including that amazing episode in episode seven, where having flashed through her uh, her grandfather's life, she now kind of fla- flashes through her own life in Vietnam uh, post uh, Doctor Manhattan's victory over Vietnam. It's the fifty first state, or about to become, and then becomes the fifty first state. Uh, and you know, so great. Great performance by Regina King here. She is trying to make sense of her family history, which she hasn't really understood. She has a secret that we don't learn until the end of episode seven, which is her husband is Dr. Manhattan, who she met (laughs) in Saigon. Um, She sprays on that stuff on her face and puts on the nun costume and is Sister Knight. And she's out there kicking ass because she saw... Uh, the VHS tape of the black exploitation movie when she was in Vietnam that was the only face in the entire spinner rack that looked like her and her parents wouldn't let her buy it. Um, great performance, great story. Um, interesting connections too because she can she connects with Lori, um, who is one of our returning characters from the comic. Um, th- they have a you know they they kind of aren't best friends. They kind of joust about it, which is actually really <laughs> great too. Gene Smart plays. Uh, plays Latter Day Lori. 
Um, but Regina King, I just wanted to say she's amazing. And that, and again, in the first episode, you're like, what is, is this going to be the story about this weird undercover superhero? And it's like, yeah, kind of not, but yeah, but she is, she is the, the character. Cause the whole idea is she's hooded justice's granddaughter. And all of these things, you know, everything that came before comes again, all of the violence, the history of violence gets handed down and she has to deal with it. Like her grandfather had to deal with it. She's amazing. I haven't seen her in a whole lot, which is a shame. Um, but She's good on the leftovers. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the only thing I've seen her in. Maybe what you need to what you need to watch is the uh, seminal comedic work two two seven st- starring, <laughs> starring Marla Gibbs. It's Marla Gibbs oh, and right. Jack A. Jack A. Yeah. Jack A. Harry. <laughs> it it it's a terrible sitcom. <laughs> Uh, but Regina King's in it. Uh, that's that's where she started. And she was so, uh, she was in yeah. Southland, which was a, a yes, kind of underrated cop yeah, drama. Very good, very good in Southland. Mm-hmm. We've all probably heard the same podcasts, read the same magazines. Um, but the um, <laughs> but um, sure. but the as you do. But the um, he's uh, D- D- I call him Damon. Damon's talked a lot about uh, having read things about reparations. Was it was it Tanahasi Coates that he read a lot of? Yeah, reading about yeah, reparations and all of that, yeah. and like. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm a um a very fortunate, a very privileged 53-year-old cis white dude. Hi. Um and most of you listening probably are too. But um the uh the the, the part that just really dug into me that I I don't feel like I've been confronted with a lot was this idea of uh, what was the phrase like generational trauma or like this idea that like what's visited upon your ancestors ends up being visited upon you cuz guess what yeah. I'm a white guy in America I was raised to believe that you know I'm from Ohio and if you apologize enough and keep your room clean you'll get whatever you want in life but I have to <laughs> I feel like I have to imagine that that hits much closer to home for somebody who's seen generation after generation of their family um, suffer through something that happened maybe in the 1600s. Like that, that idea is, is, is super interesting to me and not something that I've ever been sort of um, encouraged to confront in myself. So that was real interesting to sit through is that idea. And, I, you know, again, eggs and legacy, right? Well, like how does this how does this get passed on? How is it that, you know, once she's had the nostalgia pill, she's able to really see she can put her hands around this thing that has been part of her life and her parents' life and so forth. But I don't know. I just thought that was a really interesting idea. And it's, it's kind of something, again, it's been like privilege itself, something that sort of hides in plain sight until you're kind of forced to look at it in this awkward way. But I thought that through the middle parts of that show, that was easily one of the most fascinating parts is like, what, what does it mean when you're still sweating off or burning off or just dealing with the trauma that has that has brought you to where you are, right? Where you, your grandfather had to, was doing the best he could, but he had to hide his identity inside of another identity in order to just even do the right thing. And then he still couldn't have people that would get his back. So Merlin, uh, so when I say that this show is authentically black, um, all the things that you articulated beautifully, I might add, are things that I live with. Like that's my life. So all of those things you're talking about, like the 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 uh, this generational feel feeling, this feeling that is at the undercurrent of everything. That no matter what you do, it will never be good enough. Uh, no matter what you do, this 
random traffic stop may end your life. Like that is something that I live with. And I think these characters also live with it. And and that's why I think, you know, Damon, as you call him, um, <laughs> uh, was, was, uh, was, was so brilliant. That's why I, you know, I, I am so, so in awe of how well this, the story was crafted and written is because of how, authentic the responses were like it didn't feel like i knew it was an alternate reality i knew that what we were watching was was fantasy or was at least fiction but the but the situations didn't seem fictional to me because they were so dour and 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 like uh, uh, you know, matter of fact, and 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 you know, very kind of pessimistic. Um, in in terms of the way, uh, people dealt with race, the way people dealt with uh their ancestry, the way th- black characters when they spoke to each other talked about how they had to safely navigate the world. All of those things were so very authentic. I think the um. The masks comes in here too. Like one of the things that Lewis Gossett Jr. says toward the end is, "I was angry." Like that that for all that we can see about hooded justice that was praiseworthy, he says, "I got lost in my in my anger about this." And that yeah. that's one of the yeah. questions that this show has is is it's that it's that because his granddaughter wears a mask and the show says this is not an accident <laughs> like this it is handed down her anger his anger you wear a mask because of something what does Lori say you know it's because you're you're um afraid of something or you're angry at something like you're you're hiding something like th- there's <laughs> he basically says you wear the mask because you're messed up and she says i'm not messed up and Lori's like yeah you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, she specifically says like, childhood yeah. trauma uh when they're in the childhood that trauma. car ride yeah. together with pd in the back right right and, and that's and that's part of it too right is it, it it's 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 all wrapped up together it's like the terrible things that happened and they propagate and how do we propagate them and how does that affect us and how, when can we get that self-realization like look what i'm you know look at what i'm reacting to and do we have the ability to say i'm not going to i'm not going to let this uh, affect my life and i i think it's fascinating that lewis gossett at the end is kind of regretful he's like you know i ended up a kind of a lonely sad man because i was so angry but it's also the thing that made me hood of justice and both of those things are are true as as angela is pondering what ends up being her ascension to godhood which happens at the end of the show <laughs> like there's this question of like well who deserves that level of power superhero power and is it these white supremacists over here or is it lady true who is i haven't even mentioned before who is a fascinating character who we don't really get enough of i think in this season but she's sort of like altruistic but also power hungry it's like well not really or what about the nice uh, lady who uh, wears a mask and uh, ate an egg uh, maybe her Maybe she'd be the right person. I don't know if there could be a right person. Yeah, I, I think the Lady True thing that you just brought up is also interesting to get into at some point because it's it, I have conflicted feelings about it because I think that they wanted to keep her uh, somewhat sinister motivations um, uh, a, a, a more of a secret to to reveal less about her. Yeah. Um, and in doing that, they kind of didn't give us a Lady True episode as they did with the other yeah, characters. They right. were supposed to do 10 
episodes and they ended up doing nine. And I keep thinking that maybe it would have been better to do 10 and have a proper Lady True episode where we learn about her. And that's the revelation about what her real plan is. Because, yeah, I think they hide her because they're afraid that it's going to be revealed that she's the real big bad in that in that uh Buffy kind of sense of like there's the one you think is and then there's the real She's one the, like the final boss yeah that that's I mean there's hmm, I have I, I could do seven or eight hours on the last episode and my complex feelings <laughs> about it but one of the things that was well the two things and I know I'm not alone in this but the two things that I walked away with feeling a little frustrated was that the propulsiveness of heart crushing realizations about about race and identity in those middle few episodes. Um, I guess necessarily as they wound through the need for some exposition, it got a little bit, not watered down, but like it, it lost the propulsiveness, which I, I missed when it was gone. But also the Lady True thing, I mean, I guess if we're talking about fair play, uh, not a fair play mystery, but fair play in terms of storytelling, you know, she is, if she's going to be that big of a bad, I need to understand more about her than I wanted to impress my parents more. That they're like, they're, she seems like a weirdo, but I mean, we've already got Adrian. We already got a really good weirdo. God, we have not talked about Adrian. My daughter is my daughter is obsessed yeah. with. I'm Adrian. waiting for when we have that cutaway where suddenly everything is totally oh, different. And we're talking show about now. Jeremy yeah. Irons. But I, I really, I, I agree. I mean, I it, the show the show is going to easily be in my top something of probably all time. But that was the disappointment. In some ways, was the the the, the bar had been set. set so high by episode six, seven, eight, um, that you can't help but be a little bit like, hmm, gosh, what if it had gotten five times as weird in the last episode <laughs> instead of being sort of something that made sense to resolve it? But, you know, I there's a reason I'm not in the corner office. But, yeah, the Lady True part was kind of a bummer because there were so many MacGuffins and MacGuffins and more MacGuffins. And, you know, there's the statue and there's the clock. And what is the clock? And it goes on and on and on. And I feel like she got if, – if I did have a, a beef with the otherwise, you know, mostly very good storytelling, it's that I feel like more exploration of Lady True would have enlightened and deepened a lot of that story. And I know they have it in them. <laughs> they probably just didn't yeah. have the time. Especially in relation to uh – Vietnam and in relation to Angela in relation to Vietnam um th- mm-hmm. they other than them having that one conversation in uh in Vietnamese to like have the coded conversation about will um they <laughs> <Amazing>. don't <laughs> they, they, they don't uh, uh they don't really get into is the imperialism is that part of the reason that motivates true like w- what what are what are her specific feelings and what are her mother's motivations because her mother plays a significant role in her conception yeah. um, in in a very sure. strange scene. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it, 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 at the same time, she's resurrected her mother through a clone. It, and it's her- a little bit like the show is like, look, if we go too far down in this, we're going to really be talking about kind of like the history of various European powers trying to exert their empire over Vietnam and like and it backs away from it. And I. I think it shouldn't have, right? Like, I feel like Lady True is such a big mover and shaker in this. And just such a good character. You just love when she's on screen. I think it's motivated by being afraid they're they're going to blow the reveal mm-hmm. in episode nine. But like, instead, she just kind of is around. But we never really get, like, I wanted more understanding of her and her mother and the that history, right? The history of the right. childhood traumas and things like that. And, and yes, it is an amazing reveal because in the comics, all of the people who work for... Adrian at Karnak in Aust- in uh, Antarctica mm-hmm. are Vietnamese. And so this show is like all right. <laughs> like but yes, we're going to continue that. Um 
but doesn't really grapple with it. it, it and, and every time it glances off of it, it's, it's fascinating because she like she's cloned her mother and is trying to implant her memories in her and her daughter survives at the end of the story, which is also interesting. But like, <laughs> I would like, a suitcase I would over, like more. If you hold a suitcase over your head, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> the, the mean, the mean squids won't, won't give you stigmata as long as you hold up a suitcase. Well, they're frozen. So they're very brittle. That's true. So That's if they true. don't hit the, you know, machinery, they are fine. Or, the, or that one spot on your hand. The one spot. That's yeah. If you have that, spread, yeah. If you have that, that, that sign there. I don't know. I, I, I do agree. I mean, the last episode has a lot of plot to wrap up and it has some big moments, but it does feel a little anticlimactic. I, I forgive, I forgive everything. It's just that my own, I had, I got the, my own bar so high up that, you know, I, I, I watched that black and white, the, I guess episode six, I just, I watched that probably three or four times and I was like, oh my God, please keep this going. Please keep this propulsiveness. If I have an overarching um, criticism of this, it's that I feel like they were, for a show this bold, they were afraid of losing the audience yeah. more than they should have been. And this comes up mm. in a few ways. I think it comes up in that last episode. Um, and I think throughout, and I know that if John Syracuse would hear, yeah. he, were here, he would mention this. Uh, there are so many moments where they flash back yeah. to things that happened <laughs> earlier in the this. same episode yeah, where it's like, guys... We right. we're watching yeah, your yeah. show. We get we right. get it, and the, and they're like flashing back to things like remember, huh, huh. Well, this right. is it's like yes, uh huh. They're, they're yeah, explaining, I saw they're explaining it very slowly to Ice T. Did you see this episode that you're watching? <laughs> yes, I did. Wait a minute. And, and, so and why my, are you telling me? It's like, I don't want it to be impenetrable, but like yes. it felt like they they could have been a little more confident. I know the irony because there's it's so confident in so many places, but I feel like there are moments where they're like, oh, we bet we better back off because we're going to really lose people here, and my. My thought was no, no, you are not going to lose me. And instead, I, I worry that they that they chickened out a little bit about making it like because that last episode could have been like you said, Merlin, really, really weird and wacky. And instead, it's very conventional because I think that they yeah, it's, it's people standing around talking about what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of a sop to the traditional TV structure that yeah. they're like, yeah, we got to have a finale. Here it is, and it's like it's fine, but. It's not transcendent like I would really say the f the previous four episodes are some of the best yeah. TV episodes you will see in modern television. And then the, the ninth episode's like, and the curtain drops. Yeah. Yay. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. <laughs> I don't think it quite goes out with a whimper, but it but it's not. Yeah, it, it's hard to hard to, to wrap up after after that, uh, because the other episodes don't have to deal with. This is the resolution to all of the mysteries in the season. Yeah. Um, yes. But uh, it's. It's a little dis. I agree that it is a little disappointing, especially if you were hoping for some kind of explanation about why True is doing any of this. But uh, that's that. I I, I, yes. I she wants to be a god. A god. Blah, ha, ha, ha. I, I, I have uh, I have I have two markers to drop. Uh, apropos of nothing, one marker is I don't think there will be a second season because it seems like it's a lot of work and he's you know who knows. But if there is a second season, second marker, I would not be surprised if it. Whatever happens in that series happens previous to this and would cover right. stuff that, like yeah, Lady was... True. And because obviously, okay, so spoiler, spoiler, spoilers, obviously, obviously, we get into the elephant stuff. And Damon, I call him Damon. Da <laughs> Damon says, title, Damon, Damon says he thinks the elephant might have been a misstep, that they didn't really follow through with that. But I thought it was kind of fun. Oh my God, the elephant is a memory hard drive. That's wild. But you also get stuff like, <laughs> oh God, look at her logo. Her logo is an elephant. And apparently the lady, according to YouTube videos, the lady true of history, like wrote in, wrote around in Vietnam, 
um, on an elephant. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot of interest in her character. I do think they probably ran out of time, but like I say, I don't know if they'll make a second, second season. I kind of secretly hope they don't. You guys talked about this, I think a little bit, you and Tim, I, I, I feel yeah. like it's so good. Like don't risk watering this down with some, you know, maybe give it to Noah Hawley or something, somebody fun, but like, you know what I mean? Like I, it was so good as it is and like, don't, uh, don't mess it up. But if you're going to do it, I don't know. I mean, maybe that could be a draft. We could, <laughs> we could do a draft on what the Watchmen season two would be. But um, I feel like there's plenty of room for more. Oh, how much do you love Adrian in the in the 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 way flashbacks, like where he's you know still watching his TVs with uh, Doctor Manhattan? <laughs> I love yeah. that Adrian. I love crying Adrian. There's still so much they could do with that. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's my markers. I I, I do actually want more of this, and particularly if it's someone like Damon guiding it, at least in, in a producer level. Um, and I know it's a lot of work and uh, I would hold it to a high standard. Uh, and I think that might be intimidating for, you know, some people to take on. But uh, no, pressure. but I don't want to. For the same Snyder, reason, bring in Snyder. Come <laughs> on. You know you want it. Just let him recut this whole season. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag release the Snyder season. <laughs> this version is 16 hours long. Uh, and there's an animated comic that it's goes got an animated anyway. comic in it. Yeah, exactly. But uh, <laughs> like, I, for the same reason why I wanted to watch the movie, not just because I worked on it, but the same reason why I was a fan of that existing and the same reason I'm a fan of this TV series existing is because I don't think that I would ever want someone to not make something for Watchmen um, or in in that vein. I just want them to not mess it up. And uh, if they mess it up, <laughs> yeah. then, oh, well, whatever. Like, we'll move on to the next thing. Like, uh, you know, there are people who consider the movie to be a mistake. And so it's like, well, fine, we have this TV series. But if you consider movie and the TV series to be a mistake and that the only thing that can possibly exist is the original material, then, I, you know, I think that's a problem. Uh, and I wouldn't want to be in a situation where it's just like, no, we've we've got this one perfect season. We must n- never have another one um, ever again hmm. because it might threaten the the perfect the perfection of this. Um, it, even if we see Beyond or, or uh, uh, Angela uh, as a god or whatever, and it's like, oh well, I you know that's a hard thing to grapple with. Like, how do you write that? How, how does that progress and turn into something? It's like, well. I don't know, but I didn't know how this was going to go. Yeah, I'm very satisfied that it exists. Yeah, I, I think it's fascinating that we're having this conversation because I think Damon Lindelof said, we're going to tell a complete story and mm-hmm. it'll be it'll have an ending. And yeah, it does. One and done. And, and now he's sort of like, all right, we'll see what, what, what happens next. Um, <laughs> I hope he comes up with a good idea. Like Joe, I hope they do more. That's good. If they, if it, it's a fascinating question with television, it's like, do you do more? Because like HBO wants more, obviously. I think ultimately there will be more regardless because it was incredibly successful in terms of ratings and in terms mm-hmm. of praise. And so there won't be, HBO will not not do more. I think the question is who will do it and what will it be? And will Damon Lindelof walk away? Um, will the cast walk away? I'm not entirely convinced that Damon Lindelof isn't going to have another idea and say to HBO, okay, I'll come back. Or maybe... I will executive produce, give me a lot of money, and we will find another kind of lead writer to do it. I, I kind of assume that they will do that, but I, yeah. I but the difference is I don't need it. Like, if it never happens, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, like, shake my head and say, boy, 
like freaks and geeks or something like that where it's like oh it's such a shame that they only had the one season and then they never got to do more because i don't feel that way about this yeah like why is it so hard to get pete and pete season three on dvd what's up with that (laughs) this is this is just it it is a story in that was very successful and if they never do any more i'm going to point at this and say boy that watchmen in 2019 was really great (laughs) and if they do more we'll see how it is but, it won't ruin your childhood I, retroactively. But I, if it's I'm kind of okay either way, which is a weird because I want more. That's good. But if they, for whatever reason, don't make it, I'll be okay because what we've got is good, and it mm-hmm. doesn't rely on there being more. I guess if that yeah. makes well, any sense. Well, I think I think if it's if they do an anthology style. Um, where, you know, perhaps it's the Lady True story that's a prequel to the events that happened here. Um, it allows this story to remain untouched. It can remain great. And you look at the other story and say, all right, that season was good, better, best, you know, or worse than, than the season pre- uh, previous. But th- these stories can be taken, you know, by themselves and, and uh, exist on their own. And that's, that's fine. Yeah, I'm not sure that we need to see. So this story ends with Angela stepping, having eaten an right. egg, <laughs> stepping right. out onto the pool. And people yes. are like, oh, it's like the Sopranos. You don't know what's happening. And Damon Lindelof has said, quite rightly, come on, you know what's <laughs> going to happen. She's not going to fall right. in the pool. She's whoa, becoming whoa, whoa. Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> Cue yakety right. sex. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, whoops. I guess I got that totally wrong. Um, although, I, it, just in our little Slack chat, we came up with a perfectly other, other great viable ending, uh, which is that she, she uh, is about to step in the pool and realizes there's two babies floating in oh, the right, pool yeah. right out oh. of Europa. And it's like, what? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, but anyway, like a godlike being navigating the world uh, is less interesting. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, right. It's less, right. it's less uh, interesting than some other tangent to that. And even if they follow time-wise, if they did a follow-up that's set after the events of this, I don't think it would necessarily be like, all about Angela in the same way that this is not all about Dr. Manhattan, but instead Dr. Manhattan is tactically deployed at the end of the story because it's such a big, an op, semi-omnipotent being mm-hmm. that d- doesn't understand linear time. It's kind of kind of hard to wrap a whole story around, right? You know, Dr. Manhattan is also kind of hard to tell a story with. I think if you focus on him too much, yeah. mm-hmm. it just, it is too much because you've got this guy who, or this, I guess, entity or person now who sees all points in time of their lifespan. And that gets arduous pretty quickly you have to enemy to storytelling right (laughs) yeah yeah you have to really tactically deploy that character and i mean even in the comics there are things that don't make sense like there's this moment where he finds out that his ex-girlfriend has is seeing someone else but he told her that she was going to tell him in the future and then he's surprised (laughs) when she tells him in the future and it's it just gets really weird and so i you can't have i it would be really difficult i'll put it that way be really difficult to have a dr manhattan focused arc mm-hmm. and this show does that same thing right they, they've got the duality of like he in episode eight he talks about how he uh it, the moment he fell in love with her but he knows he's going to be in love with her because he's in love with her now and it's like this well wait a second which is it and it's like it's both <laughs> right. um mm-hmm. and, and but it's isolated into that one episode which is another brilliant episode god walks into 
a bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and but again, you, like there's only so much you can do. You have to be constrained with it. That's a brilliant episode. I think they do a really good job yeah. with it. They do the kaleidoscopic kind of thing. They have a little more faith that the audience is going to get it, although even then they're a little hesitant, but it's a good <laughs> and it's a good performance. I, I want to say that one of the challenges that they, they have here is that they so they they cast um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen as as uh, Cal, Angela's husband. He is also Dr. Manhattan. There's a reveal. Um, they he he it's interesting because he has to do a little voice when he's kind of like unrevealed Dr. Manhattan. They don't show his face. The only time we see classic Dr. Manhattan face is a Dave Gibbons illustration. That's a cardboard standup in a video store (laughs) because (laughs) everybody's got their own Dr. Manhattan and uh, you know, they didn't want to get Billy Crudup to do it. So there's, this is what it is. uh, They can't bother him. Yeah. (laughs) But, but, um, and then, and then when we see him after that, it's, it's, it's Yaya Abdul-Mateen doing it. But, um, uh, you know, that episode is really great, but again, it is structured in that way, I think, for a reason that that reveal happens so late because you get your omnipotent being that doesn't understand linear time in your story. And it's like, mm, now everything gets weird because, you know, that's that's actually one of the fascinating things about that last episode is I think it's undercut brilliantly, honestly, in episode eight because people are like, what's going to happen in the Watchmen finale? Mm-hmm. It's like, did you not hear him tell you what would happen? Like he literally (laughs) says, they're going to take me and then they're going to destroy me and it will be tragic and I'll be dead. And like, it's not, there's no question of what's going to happen in episode nine. (laughs) He, he knows what will happen in episode nine. We, he's already told us. And like, there's only so much of that you can stand. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. I feel like along the lines of losing some of the, propulsiveness about um, blackness and trauma after that episode, which I'm not hugely complaining about, but I am noting. Um, The MacGuffin of the 7th Cavalry being the big bad guys who are going to be the, you know, the thing that we're really fighting. And maybe that is just a MacGuffin. The the question and a half I have is like, do, do we agree that that was a pretty abrupt withdrawal of the scariness of the 7th Cavalry and like how do we feel about that because they basically got zapped by lasers and I don't know I, I was kind of bummed that that would hmm. I, I don't know I'm just curious what other people think about that if you're invested in that story of how we started with Judd through the clan you know robe through the you know um hood of justice and all of that did, did anybody else feel a little like I don't know uh, bummed that we didn't see more of like how you would actually deal with the Seventh Cavalry. Is, is that the point? So I I didn't feel that way because I felt like that was just the Seventh Cavalry in Tulsa, and there are Seventh Cavalries all over the country that uh, you know are still still living the tenets of of that we can rediscover at some point in the future, but their, their usefulness within this narrative was over at that point. Yeah. It was like 20 people <laughs> and, uh, right. Senator, uh, Keen, uh, in those <laughs> undies. <laughs> Senator short pants. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a bold, that's a strong look. I did feel a little let down by the idea that like they end up being kind of like they're being played by a guy who's also being played. It's like, and there is that, this is going to be a random reference, but like one of the things I don't like about the um, third Indiana Jones movie is that, you know, Indiana Jones fights Nazis, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark, he fights Nazis. It makes sense. They bring him back for the last crusade. 
And there's a scene where they like go in, there is a chase and there's like a bike and a sidecar and they go into a river and it's like something out of the Dukes of Hazzard or Smokey and the Bandit (laughs) where it's like super slapsticky. And I think I'm not comfortable with the Nazis being slapstick villains just because although they're villains. Those SS guys got themselves into a dilly of people. (laughs) I feel like, oh, they crossed the county line and then it was fine. It's a real Sophie's choice. Freeze frame of the sidecar going over the river. I'm I'm conflating Boss Hog and Sophie's choice now. not it's not good it's not good my my point is um i feel like there are villains that must be taken that should be taken seriously and not you know you and obviously somebody like mel brooks would disagree and and like the producers is all about slapsticking uh hitler as a as a uh as defiance and as as denigrating him but i had that same moment with the seventh cavalry which is like I feel it's like just by being zapped by a laser, they kind of get off easy. And the emotional trauma of the fact that like Judd's wife, who Angela really trusted, is actually like a super, um, mm-hmm. if she had a mustache, she'd be twirling it kind of uh, villainous she's, she's person Judd, in probably. the end. And and yet it's sort of like the emotional baggage is kind of dropped and then they're all zapped by lasers. And I do feel like a little bit of a, a loss there, like... Like they were awful, and we just kind of like we're like poof. We just whipped them away. I don't know. I think part of the part of what that poof that makes them go away. Uh, why that doesn't have uh, I think an emotional resonance is because True's the one who kills them, um, yeah. and she has no actual. We've we see no beef depicted between um, Lady True and the Seventh Cavalry. I'm sure the Seventh Cavalry does not think highly of Lady True, and I'm sure that Lady <laughs> True does not think highly of them. But we haven't seen anything on screen or articulated by either party yeah they're just in her way yeah it's not that they're white supremacists it's that they're in they're they're dummies who are in their in her way of ascending to, to godhood that's yeah. it um i did like that she liquefied um keen um when she opened the, the fly pod um and uh that that was just kind of cruel because he, he had it was a sort of a good um end to his hubris i feel like that was a that was a i thought a legitimately great moment which is i am going to ascend to godhood no you're going to become a pile of goo <laughs> after all after all of his monologuing in underpants right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and i you know again it's a silly operatic conclusion but it is it is true that watchmen the comic ends in a similar way which is why Zack snyder was like mm, maybe we'll change this for the movie because it's kind of a wacky ending but speaking of which i want to say um, I really we, we we've talked about episodes six, seven, and eight, um, but episode five, which is the Looking Glass episode, oh, yes, yes, and so and good. you know uh, Tim Blake Nelson, that is a, that is a fascinating character. He is Rorschach like in a way, which is kind of interesting, um, and because but he his 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 uh, mask is a mirror, and we find out that he was in New Jersey when the squid attack happened and we see that flashback <laughs> on a mission where he's, a mission. yeah, he's a, yeah. he's trying to convert people. He's in the, at the, at the, the fair or whatever, the fairgrounds. Um, that is an amazing scene. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that is also a really great episode. And if I had yes. another complaint, I'm glad that we, we do get looking glass back in that, in that ninth episode. And the kind of, bizarre place that he ends up which is in antarctica with adrian Veidt <laughs> and laurie is fascinating too but um that's a great episode because it shows you um 
why he is the way he is and how messed up his life is based on the trauma that he sort of suffered at a young age. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a, I think that's a really brilliant episode too that is is worth. Signing. And they place it at they place it at the right time where uh, right after he had accused. Uh, he had accused Sister Knight of, or or had basically had dimed her out to, uh, to uh, to Lori, to Lori, to Lori. Yeah, yeah, and the FBI, and yeah, so so he was becoming a, a less sympathetic uh, feature and character, and and then to have this episode was, you know, it was it was a perfect perfect uh, emotional arc to go on. It's that empathy um, too that is one of the yeah. things that I love the most in really good uh, television or movies is every character has a story and if you understood more about who they were you'd understand why they do what they do and this is with Looking Glass it's like oh mm-hmm. like yeah. oh. And then seeing all his paranoia at home with the alarm system uh-huh. and everything yeah. I thought was right. so well done. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah and it ends uh, obviously it ends in, in, in tragedy uh, in that episode because the 7th Cavalry is going to come and kill him course turns out no he killed all of them instead because he's awesome but that happens later uh but in that moment you're like oh no but i just learned about looking glass i don't want him to be dead you know don't 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 harass a man with a mirror mask and a mustache like that just Mm. don't do it you're not gonna win (laughs) that's true i I mean i like his incredible sadness um and that all of his trauma is related to this deception and that he finds out it, it is a deception um yeah it is I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't know why they had to go through the trouble of like rigging a piece of lettuce to fall off the back of the truck, but, uh, just that he was drawn into this so that he could observe Vite's, um, video about how this was all a lie. And he throws away the alarm system that he had rushed in a previous scene. Um, because now this trauma is behind him in a way. Unfortunately, I feel like, and like you said, the, the final, but he goes out to the trash and gets it again, which is the indication that he, uh, he, even though he's been living this life this way and he's had it re- revealed to him that it's all a lie, he's not willing to let go of it yet. <laughs> yeah, But uh, I feel like it's Human undermined nature. in the f- final episode because he finally is in a situation where the person who has traumatized him um, is right in front of him. Um, and he needs to assist in, you know, this plan for the greater good of, you know, stopping True from absorbing this power. Um, but then afterwards, he just hits Vite on the back of a head with a wrench and has a quippy little line and it's like what like it it didn't feel like it tied up necessarily with like this you know this is the person who caused this trauma for me and I'm I'm going to hmm. you know fully confront him and t- to take advantage of the situation instead it's Lori who's like yeah you know we made a mistake and we shouldn't have done that thing that one time back in the 80s um and she gets to be the one who who confronts him verbally about it maybe the next season will be him going through therapy and the whole arc of his recovery mm. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. uh, they'll break Dan Dan Dryberg out and he'll uh, they'll they'll commiserate Petey will break him out. <laughs> Mirror Man to Owl Man. Yeah, yeah. So Jeremy Irons. Oh my god! Now's the time. Ugh. Some piano music plays. We're in a oh, we're man. in Wales in a castle. Um, Jeremy Irons is in parallel to almost this entire season as Adrian Veidt, the Lord of the Manor. Uh, we find out he's on actually on Europa. He is uh, keeps on being um, involved with uh, Ms. Crookshanks. And Mr. Phillips, who are his servants, and he kills them in various ways, but there's always more of them. And it turns out that they are clones created by Dr. Manhattan based on people that he met when he was a child in a in a manner in England when they were fleeing Europe. Um, and uh, it's super weird. Mm. And it is the... <laughs> 
Tales of the Black Freighter equivalent in here where there's this weird thing that keeps happening and you don't know what it is. Um, uh, You know, what do people think of of the weird story of Adrian Veidt in The Lord of the Manor? Okay, can we talk about the babies in the lake and (laughs) how creepy that is? You got to get one of those little nets to fish them out. Oh my god! And then you put them in. You put put them in in a chamber like a chicken, and then they turn into a server. (laughs) But sometimes you throw them back because I don't know they're not ready or like I don't know. Might be out of season. Or they're not the good ones. Or they're not the good ones. Yeah. Catch and release. Yeah. It's super weird, right? Yeah. That episode. Wow. <laughs> that I mean, like of all the the stuff, I mean, the Adrian stuff was just so fun. After we eat our vegetables, you know, with all the other yeah. stuff, we get to go see Adrian, and you know, there's things that one could pick up that were, I believe, verified in things like podcasts. That, for example, yeah. I'm pretty sure every time we see him, a year has passed. Hence the cake, yeah, the, right? they're the the birthday candles, basically, and mm-hmm. that that explains why what we're watching is actually happening way before. Yeah, but the yeah, rest exactly, of the stuff exactly. Like so, yeah. but there's still so much that's challenging about that. Like, do we know when it's happening? Do we know? you know, why it's happening and is he, you know, where is he? Uh, but like, I just, I, man, just pumped that straight into my veins. All the Adrian <laughs> stuff was so fun to me. Um, and the, and just the, um, I, I love, uh, God, this is really a small point, but I, I love the fact that he has this sort of control power and luxury that anybody would kill for, but he's, but he's not happy. And what, why is he not happy? Well, we find out he's not happy because he feel like he never, he feels like he never got any gratitude for bringing the squids. Dude, your secret plan to save the world is not going to get you gratitude. If I was Steve Jobs, I would have retired in like 1978, you know? And in this case, this guy, you know, he's still swinging for the fences and going to TechCrunch or whatever. And it's like, because he's, because he's, he's not gotten the thing. He wants to be a god. Um, I loved it all. I thought it was just terrific. I've got to say, as someone who didn't remember the only media that I'd consumed previous to this, which was the 2009 movie, seeing him just kind of casually kill all of these clones was really <laughs> disturbing. You know, like that first scene where um, he writes the play and he's so excited for the play. And then one of the clones is just like burning in a box and he's just like, <laughs> whatever. Burning. It's and it, it, it was really shocking to me because I yeah. didn't, I was like, Oh my God, what is happening? And then it's like, Oh, well this is just the first drop of many, many drops in a very large bucket of just kind of his, callousness i guess culminating in the fart in the courtroom by the way <laughs> yes <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was it was fantastic uh i mean it it really was like the dessert after you ate your vegetables of watching you know every time you had one of these vignettes of uh you know vite just and and oh man jeremy irons must have he must have been at like in a playground like it just must have been so much fun for him because it it looked like he was having a blast just being absolutely loony. Um, I would I would love to see what like B B roll looks like from from all of the crazy things that they were doing. He must have he mu- I mean like he does probably doesn't need this work, but like the fact that like he let them paint him. Like what yeah. a gamer! I mean, he doesn't yeah. need this. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? He must have been pretty into it. Yeah, and they shot all of the castle stuff was shot before anything else in the season in Wales because oh. they needed to shoot oh it when gosh. the weather was good in Wales. 
which is like there's about two weeks. <laughs> oh. oh man. Uh, and uh, and then of course he's got his other few scenes that are in basically the last episode. Um, it is a great reveal. The the lady true uh, buying the uh, buying the farm from the people because uh, something is uh, going to land in the farm. Um, one of the many Superman references, right? They, there is yes. the yeah. uh, yes. the fact that the the Black Wall Street massacre. We have a single child who's sent away, and his parents right. you know, send him away. Like it's very Superman. Then we've got the thing crashing into the cornfield out in the middle of the country. Uh, that Lady right. True is buying the the farm from, uh, and it's like Lois Clark. Lo- Lois Clark, yeah, I think that's the lady's right. Name I mean, is Lois Clark. Like, yeah, they're Clarks. it's the Clarks, and it's Lois and, and probably Kent. Eggs, um, right? Eggs, and, <laughs> and and what they're getting is that statue of him that's in Lady True's office, which is turns out is him. Yeah, and they just right. haven't. <laughs> like, so it's weird. just it's bananas and strange, and and then um yeah. and I really as a an old school Watchmen fan, I really enjoyed that they're in Karnak in Antarctica, and Lori gets her chance to basically be like, "What the hell, Adrian?" <laughs> After all of this time. And yeah, Looking Glass is there too, and they use his squid machine to save the day, <laughs> and then uh, they they cuff him basically, and are like, "Yeah, we're gonna, um, you killed lots of people, and we're gonna take care of that now uh, because you're a very very bad man." Uh, it's just it's fascinating. It it is uh it is like a break in the action of every episode, and then it turns into this thing that I would argue is maybe the most fan servicey part of it is like having his comeuppance at the end but um i was okay with it because i'm a fan so i was happy to be serviced that by that yeah i i, I love the surreal uh, the surreal quality to it and i think it's really effective that we only get these tiny little slivers of this absolutely bonkers stuff happening because an entire episode um of just bonkers stuff nonstop, um or like huge chunks of it uh other than of course the courtroom episode uh i feel like it would be hard to <laughs> digest what was going on because we would want to know like well why does the machine work where did he get the machine from how did he make the tomato tree but because we spend so little time we can sort of just be like okay well this happened apparently Mm -hmm. that year and that happened this year and they can figure that out and like who's the game warden it's like well it's revealed at the end and we can uh, have these sort of dreamlike mystery this dreamlike mystery play out over the course of it and it's all tied in uh to reveal and unfold in a organic and interesting way and I think some of that surreal quality is also like it. It seems almost like he's inspired by. I don't know if you ever saw like the Fall, uh, or some Sings movie, The Fall. But they, oh, they even yeah. play uh, Symphony Number no. Seven um, in A Major from Beethoven uh, during during uh, one of the scenes, and I'm just like, yeah, this is just kind of loopy. It's like a it's like a weird story that somebody would tell. That's not. And the game is how is this connected to anything? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Like I, I still. I, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I still don't understand the horseshoe. Uh, it's the way that he digs his way out uh, so that he can go to the spaceship, but he knows that it's not time yet, and so he just keeps sending it back and like, no, 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 not time yet, not time. So yet. there's something hardwired in the clones to know that he's going to need yeah, that at he, some point. He set up this whole story, um, and they keep trying to get him to that part, and he's like, no, not yet, not yet. Um, and, and the idea <laughs> is he's basically cut my cake with. He's this. basically just entertaining <laughs> himself the whole time, like to get it gives him something to do until the spaceship comes. After he, especially after he sends his help me. Daughter message right like he's just waiting for the moment where he leaves but it's a uh, and that's all revealed at the end of course but it, yeah it's fascinating and it's a it's a nice i really love the turn where we discover that uh that uh crookshanks and uh um mr phillips are modeled on the people that 
John Osterman oh, God, met yes. um, yeah, in a right. beautiful scene, really, where they're they're refugees yeah. essentially, and they're they're going to be going to America. But he and his his dad, who's kind of a jerk, are <laughs> as we know from the comics too, are and a literal literal watchman. Yeah, exactly. Right. Are uh, are in this in this thing, and he he sort of accidentally ends up spying on the Lord and Lady of the Manor. Um, having sex in uh, in a room and they discover that he's there and he runs away and then they pull him aside and I think it's kind of beautiful they're like no no that was what you saw was an act of love it's beauty we're creating life in the world and it's mm-hmm. and it's this go make go make something beautiful and go make something beautiful and it's a really mm-hmm. earnest and nice moment and that then you know they don't know that he's going to become an omnipotent being who can literally create life. <laughs> just, just goes to show you everyone you meet, you know, right. be kind because you never know when they're going to draw hydrogen on their. And head. he models this weird Adam and Eve on them, but but it, it, it is that I think that's actually one of the things I love the most in this whole show is it is the absurdity of Jeremy Irons' story mixed with this kind of kind and touching moment that happens in the early childhood of Dr. Manhattan. And it's like, those things are so tonally different. And yet it's beautiful <laughs> yeah. that they both exist in this crazy show. It's great. Yeah. Can we please get uh, Michael Imperioli to do actual New York city <laughs> recruitment videos? It was so weird. Why is Christopher in that video? <laughs> oh, it was the best. <laughs> Did you guys catch that? You guys caught the guy from the Sopranos was in that video. Yeah. The, yeah, come best. back to come, yeah, forget about it. Come back to <laughs> New York City, City. Yeah. which is a, which is like, a boom. we we, we yeah. you know uh, you know millions of people died here, but we're trying to get the tourism back, right? So it's like right. come on yeah. back. You know to respect the Bing, but now you also know to respect the squid. <laughs> Tip your driver, and then of course Tim Blake Nelson, you know, is Wade. He's like, yeah, they hate it. They're not no, yeah. they're, nobody from Tulsa is going to New York City. Sorry, it's not it's not going to happen. Yeah. I love that he moonlights as a consultant for focus groups too. Like oh, it's God, so yes. good. That's his real superpower, right? Is he can tell oh, when right. you're a liar. I love him. Like when he goes and he changes cars because he's got the two yeah. identities. That's such a nice touch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like Angela's Bakery, too, which is like never quite open. Have you ever had that storefront that never quite opens? And you're like, is this a yes. mop front? What's going on yeah. here? And it's like, What's yes, the, yes, it is a secret superhero the layer back parlor? there. What's going on in there? Yeah. As we wrap this up, I, I should uh, go around one last time if you've got any final thoughts about this. I, I, I said it at the top um, when I had to construct a list of my favorite shows of 2019. I put this number one. It wasn't really a hard decision. I didn't go into it with any particular expectations, like like we said, uh, as a lover of Watchmen, I didn't go in going, oh man, well, this Watchmen TV series is going to be great. They managed my expectations. And as a result, I was delighted and it, I thought it was great. And um, if it comes back, I'll be happy. And if not, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change how much I loved these nine episodes. Aline, you have any final thoughts about this show? No, it was, it was great. And I'm glad I watched it. I didn't know it was coming. I watched it because you all were talking about it in the incomparable <laughs> um, panelist Slack. And I was like, all right, everybody likes it. So I guess I'll check it out. And I'm really, really glad I did. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Then. Yeah, uh, thanks. <laughs> Cicero, what about you? Uh, yeah, easily uh, my favorite show of last year. Um, and just uh, just remarkable television i think remarkable storytelling authentic storytelling from a fiction show which is is 
so weird to be able to identify with with stuff. Um, but yeah, it it just it was just great. It you know it made me laugh, it made me cry, it made me you know giggle, it made me angry. Um, it informed me, uh, made me feel proud. That, I mean, it's just you know, bravo, bravo. All right, Joe. I can't put it any more eloquently than Cicero did. Uh, so instead, I'll just uh, sidestep mm-hmm. and talk about how I'm glad this ep- this show was released on a weekly basis, like Jason had said. And every week, I would look forward to it, and I would look forward to talking about it um, with anybody <laughs> else who was watching it. And uh, it, it brought me an enormous amount of uh, joy to just dissect what was happening and what could happen, and what you know we thought might be this thing and what that would represent and the just the enormous layers that went into this and i hope that what an if it ever comes back in any form by anybody that somebody looks at this episodic distribution and and decides like yeah we, we want to have something that people are going to talk about that people can take the time to consume and digest and to uh, read up about and to to see the opinions and discuss uh how they feel about every episode yeah, can you imagine uh, this binge binge dropping on a Friday, and by Monday there were Doctor Manhattan, Callous Doctor Manhattan memes everywhere on the internet, and you've watched uh, two episodes. I would have lost sipping it. his bone broth. <laughs> yes, oh man, <laughs> thumbs down, Merlin. Um, there were two HBO um, series this year that I look forward to all week and then sat down day and date and watched. And the one I'm glad I put that much attention into was Watchmen. <laughs> um, so I need about four hours to explain this, but there's this thing, this inchoate feeling that I'm just going to share in brief. Stay tuned that, for part two, everybody. <laughs> hey everybody. How's it going? I want to thank our sponsors this week. Um, there's, um, there's, there's, there's this funny, um, kind of inchoate ball of stuff that I feel about this that involves the, the show, the text of the show that involves the fan reaction to the show. And to some extent, yeah, I mean, it really involves how I look at this too. Like, let's look at some facts. You've got on the one hand, <clears throat> like Damon realized from the, I call him Damon from the very beginning, he realized that this was going to be a, a hard needle to thread, maybe impossible. So he did that Instagram post talking about his reverence for that. And of course it had fun Easter eggs in it, eggs legacy, but you know, the, the feelings that people had about the show before it ever came out, it was, it was so funny and weird because it feels a little bit like what I went through with movie fight club and front of the show, John Syracuse is saying, you know, you're always ragging on fight club, but like, I don't think you understand what Fight Club is about. I'm like, oh yeah, it's about a bunch of lunkheads with, you know, PS2s in their parents' basements talking about the things you own on you. He's like, no, it's actually not that. It's a show or a movie about not that. <laughs> it's right. about how you're, how Fight Club is this movie. And, you know, anyway, all the smart people know that. It took John telling me that to make me realize that. And I think a similar thing goes on about this show and in this show. Let's start with the Rorschach masks. Would Rorschach feel great about these guys putting on a Rorschach-like mask to go and do that? I don't think so. I think he was very iconoclastic and would not like the idea of people misunderstanding what it is that he was doing, but that's what they're doing. That's I, I don't think they pushed on that too hard as a theme, but I imagine we could probably agree that that's not something Rorschach would have been into. He was a loner. He smelled. He ate beans. Like, he was a real weirdo. Anyway, I mean, I guess I guess I just walk away with this wanting to be, I don't want to be too woke and virtue signally, but like, it does make me want to address the kind of stuff that, like the, the, the nominal theoretical fans of Watchmen, the graphic novel, who so like, who so gracelessly were pre-defending 
St. Alan against all these, you know, barbarians at the gates. <laughs> I think the show is also a lot about misunderstanding. It's about a, it's a it's a show about like adopting apart from all the stuff we've talked about. It's also a kind of a show about like, you know, who we who we lionize, who we trust, and like whose brand we choose to take on as the brand that we're going to be promoting and what we do. And I don't know, like I say, it's a very inchoate thought. I'm still thinking about it, but like the, the, the Rorschach mask has a lot to do with it. The Watchmen fan reaction has a lot to do with it, but, um, it was very challenging and thrilling to watch. And it makes me want to look at the things that I do for my own reasons that I think are good, because I think there is something to take away from in the same way you can watch the good place and you do not have to, you know, read Kant to like understand that show. I think there's a lot to this about identity and about our reasons for why we do things and like who we decide to put our faith in and what it means when we deliberately distort what that person did, thought, or believed in order to align with what we believe. Because that's kind of the dangerous precedent here in, the, in this show is like, like, look straight at Judd. Judd thought he was a good guy. Right. That's what exactly what Laurie says. All those guys think they're good guys and the people who defend them think they're good guys. Like we all it's 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 complicated stuff. But what what a thrilling show. I'm so glad it was made. And if they make another one, I I don't know. I hope they I hope they find the same kind of talented people uh, who can so courageously explore this stuff in such a thrilling way. So here's here's my kind of random closing statement Um, in our clip show episode, which I think is our previous episode to this. Um, I played a clip that was Tony Sindelar talking about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And one of the things he said was, and this is why a listener sent it in as a clip of the year, was, how did this get made? I thought the studio system in Hollywood was designed to hammer out all sorts of uh, things like this that are so just so creative and so have such a vision. And it's a funny kind of cynical moment where he's rolling his eyes like, how did this get, how did this escape? Because it's so creative and interesting. And this is, you know, there is a magic that sometimes happens. In this case, I think it's that HBO and Warner Brothers, like they really wanted Damon Lindelof to do this. HBO had the relationship with Lindelof for The Leftovers. They knew he was a Watchmen super fan. They asked him three times to make a Watchmen TV show. He only He's turned them down the first two. The third time, he had this idea. And what we got is magical because it's not a cynical cash grab it's not a brand extension i mean maybe the executives who demanded this view it that way but from damon lindelof's perspective it is a an artist that is got has got a great deal of um control over his chosen art form which is episodic television is riffing on a classic work that he knows backward and forward from when he was a kid making art of his own trying to almost one up it's almost like like a jazz musician he's trying to one up the interpretations of this work with his own original interpretation and that's why i think we're lucky to have seen it because my expectations were low because i figured this would be another brand extension cash grab and instead it's damon lindelof trying to outdo alan moore in a different medium using using his work as a as a source alan moore may never see this because he's so angry at how his work was treated and how he was treated by dc comics but i gotta say that this is in the spirit of alan moore and dave gibbons and the original watchman in terms of its ambition and how fortunate are all of us that we got to see somebody kind of at the top of his game um attack this material 
at a moment where the corporate masters were happy to let him do whatever the heck he wanted. And it doesn't happen that often. And I'm glad we got it for these nine episodes, regardless of what happens um, in the future with this property as the brand <laughs> continues to be extended, because you know it will. But we've got this and they can't take it away from us, yep. probably. Yeah. So that's that's my feeling. Like as a longtime Watchmen fan, how lucky are we that we got something that was mm-hmm. such a good, smart, empathetic riff on Watchmen? Very lucky, I think. All right. That's it. We're done with this, the first episode of The Incomparable for 2020. Uh, it's a good one. Go watch Watchmen if you haven't, but you shouldn't have. We gave it all away. Now you're going to be like Dr. Manhattan. You're going to know the beginning and the end of the story. It's not as good that way. Uh, and thumbs up to Joe. Definitely no binging. <laughs> it was so such a pleasure to have this uh, stretch out over nine weeks. Such a pleasure. All right. I want to thank my guests for being here. Aline Sims, thank you. Thank you. Cicero Holmes, thank you very much. I can't wait for the Watchmen, the television series special edition. <laughs> Watchmen Babies <laughs> is coming. <Right>. Uh, <laughs> Joe Steele, thank you. Thank you. And Merlin Mann, thanks a lot. I'm the one who strung your chief of police up. Thanks <laughs> to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. Nothing ever ends, but this episode is over. Mm-hmm.